The following is a Secure Foundation broadcast. If you do not have the proper security clearance to listen to this broadcast, please turn off your listening device now and turn yourself in to the police. Our personnel will take it from there. Commencing playback of deadly auditory cognito hazard in 3, 2, 1. Hello and welcome back to this con- this uh, <laughs> yeah fuck. the secure contained podcast, the show that explains and discusses every aspect of the SCP Foundation, <laughs> one topic out of a time. Uh, out of a time, we are uh, maybe ten seconds into the episode, and I've already done a fucking typo. I'm your co-host, David. <laughs> you waited for me, but you said it. Yep. Oh, I'm your that's co- your co-host, Soren. Yep, it's I. Um. We're doing this really late. Uh, <laughs> it is today, 7 p.m. at night, the night before we have to upload it. This has to be uploaded five hours from now. And you still have to edit. Yeah, um, there's not going to be that much of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're, we're doing ship in a bottle. Uh, we're do- yeah, we're doing the ship in a bottle cannon because Soren really likes this one. It's and so we just stupid to get one out and of it's going to be perfect for how great of a mood we're in. Yeah, uh, real quick, we're gonna go over what a cannon is again. Soren can do that. Oh, um, so basically it's kind of like a universe of the Foundation where it's either something happened or the Foundation didn't happen or that kind of thing. It's up to Or you. even it's just focused on a different group of interests. It's just whatever. And then it's it's based off the thing of, like, whatever's canon is up to you because otherwise every tale would con- contradict with every single other tale. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, we're doing Ship in a Bottle. The uh, description of this on the uh, Canon Hub is Site-17 director and grown-ass man Benjamin Kondraki, Kondraki has a problem. Uh, Soren is going to read the excerpt Am at I? the top. Would you like me to? Do you want to be Draven Kondraki? Sure. Oh, God, no, wait, there's a bunch of characters. Hold on. You know, I'll just You be the characters, I'll be the narrator. Okay. All right, yeah, we're in the excerpt at the top. Again, yeah. ship in a bottle. Yes. Uh, and the URL is scp-wiki.net slash siabhub. Mm-hmm. Year, 2056. Dew Birch Jewish Temple, approximately 20 miles from Site 17. He inspired me to start sucking dick. Sobbed, Draven Kondraki in the front pew of the funeral <laughs> service. Good pew. I mean, <laughs> God... <laughs> Good sob mm. in the front pew of the funeral service. His boyfriend reached out a hand and patted his leg comfortingly, <laughs> nodding solemnly in response to the statement. He could confirm that the child of the deceased was an incredible bottom. He was so good at breathing. <laughs> Whimpered Alfdo clapped tearfully from beside them. The staffers around the widower nodded. Benjamin Kodraki had been good at breathing. Once, he punched me in the face for the last donut. Cried the newly appointed director, Moose. Jesus Christ, I'm going to miss him so much. This is a Jewish service, Tilda. Director Bright whispered in her ear from the preceding pew as if to clarify. Dr. Wright's elbowed him sharply in the ribs as a response. As the rabbi finished the sermon and walked to the casket, the small group of assembled family and friends fell silent. Some final words were said, something about the power of love and God, and then called up the pallbearers up to the altar, intending to carry the casket to the small cemetery outside. Solemnly, the attending began to close the lid. Crunch! No, do you have a... Hmm. I have um, a plastic water bottle nearby. That Th- works. That's not a crunch. Wait, I have... Perfect. Yep. There was a brief moment of confusion among the op- occupants of the temple at the sound plastic. At the sound, plastic and rough. The casket lid would not close. It was held aloft by an empty two-liter pop bottle affixed to the penis of the deceased. The med team couldn't get it off! Wailed Draven. 55-year-old Foundation Director Benjamin Kondraki awoke from the very specific but not quite unlikely nightmare in a cold sweat, in his home in the present day, very much alive, with his four ho- with four hours to his shift. Fumbling for the switch, he turned on his lamp and yanked up his boxers to double-check. All that remained of the incident was a bag of frozen peas to numb the sordus. He breathed a sigh of relief. The newly- <laughs> Would you like me to read this last sentence? Sure. 
The newly purchased Tenga egg pocket pussy on his nightstand lost his balance and fell to the floor with a sad and lonely thud. Alright, this canon's only tales, by the way. And there's like eight of them. Uh, we have to not, read the rules of, of Dick Gangeman. No, no, first. They're, I was going to say, they're called accursed texts. Mm-hmm. In order of publication. But again, we have to read the rules of Dick Gangeman first. Uh, which I which I will read just for clarification. Uh, one, this yeah, is not Law Foundation. Yeah. Yes. One, this is not Law Foundation, and the bottles involved are not anomalous, nor is it an anomalous phenomenon or anything along those lines. The purpose of Bottle Dick is not to create humor, although that's a secondary thing, but in fact to point out something usually missed about Foundation characters. They are humans. Humans, which can be dumbasses. Bottle Dick is a canon with a message about people at its core. Clef and Gendraki must have must be dating or have dated in the past. This is to piss off one one homophobe that is really really angry about this canon existing. It doesn't need to be super explicit. It's just a thing. Three, uh, Kendraki must have gotten an Aquafina brand water bottle stuck on his penis. This is because Kendraki is a very smart man who is also an impulsive dumbass. His legacy is the core of this canon. Four, mild crack is allowed, but more extreme crack belo- belongs in Lol Foundation. I can talk even worse than normal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the first we're we're just gonna read. Uh, there's only a couple. There's like what? Uh, like ten. Yeah, I think tales. That's exactly ten. Um, so we're we're just gonna read them in order and try and get through as many as we can. Yeah, uh, I will... none, none of them are extremely long either. So and when we're yeah. done, we're done. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm you gonna know? read. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna read the first one, which is called Second Date. Um. <clears throat> Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, like I said, first first tale is called Second Date, as Soren really obnoxiously closes the water bubble. Yep. Okay, listen, don't says Kondraki. Yeah. <laughs> I have very limited time. You don't get any editing. Okay, listen, says Kondraki from inside the bathroom door. I just want you to understand that this is not my proudest moment. It's hemorrhoids, thinks Alto Clef from where he's standing outside the bathroom door in Benjamin Kondraki's apartment. I'm calling it right fucking now. He canceled our date because of hemorrhoids. It's going to be a wasteland in there. Just fucking decimated. Like the scene in Psycho with the bloodbath. Completely understandable, says Clef. I don't... This this doesn't happen to me regularly, says Kondraki. Like, seriously, if I thought I could drive like this, I would. But it, it kind of hits a certain point where your body's structural integrity is kind of negligible, you know? He's going to have ass stitches, thinks Alto Clef. Alto Clef. He seems like the kind of guy who would be constipated to the point of ass ditches. Of course, says Clef. Don't laugh, says Kondraki after a long, thoughtful pause. I bet he's just constipated, thinks Clef. Like he's been holding in one massive shit for the entire time he's been director, and it's time to give birth to that stress-based monstrosity. I won't laugh, says Clef. We've been friends for, what, 20 years? 30? Says Kondraki. I met you in 89. You watched me raise my son and everything. Even, like, you know... I, I trust you, and you know, as we discussed recently, I do have feelings for you, but it it really is kind of a delicate situation here. Connie, says Clef, I have seen you half dead three whole separate times. No state I can possibly see you in at this point will surprise me, okay? So to reiterate the plan here, continues Kondraki seamlessly, nervously brushing over Clef's response, you don't have to look at it. Seriously, just drive me to the infirmary and we can get there without anyone seeing us. I'll consider it as a victory. And you're not telling Draven about this either. Okay, yeah, understandable. Do you need help? Like, God, I don't know. What, getting up? Maybe a little. Okay, the door is unlocked. All right. Really, I didn't mean for this to happen. No one ever does. Okay, I'm coming in. The Kondraki household is an apartment situated a short walking distance from sight. It's an overall happy and comfortable living space adorned with books, manuscripts, and scratches on the walls. <laughs> There's a bedroom for Kondraki and a now-empty bedroom where his son grew up. There's a kitchen and a living room, an office, and a currently occupied bathroom. Clef has been here many times over the years, and has been here more often since the onset of Kondraki's surprisingly potent empty nest syndrome several years back, beginning with Draven's moving out and into the task force barracks for training in Onwood. He gauged easily, when they met up again for the first time after several years of working on separate sites, that he was feeling lonely. A destroyed marriage, now a little over 20 years in the past, kid out of the house, moving through middle age in a strange and alien stupor. Clef himself was more acquainted to living on his own, but it didn't mean he wasn't prone to under-fulfillment himself. They'd been close for years. This elevation of their relationship from strictly friends to testing the waters of a potential partnership was a very recent one, but not one that was necessarily unwelcome at all. There was an element of trust that wasn't there before, an element of strange security, and even something like affection, admiration, and love. But Kondraki was lonely. Clef, being asexual himself, admittedly may have underestimated this element in his newfound partner. He wasn't quite sure why he didn't consider it. 
Kadraki had been notorious for his sexcapades in his grad student years before the foundation and the child had tied him down. But Clef had really just assumed that he had it, for the most part, under control, and had therefore ignored his partner's impulsivity and stupidity when it came to mundane decision-making skills. It was impressive he had been able to keep himself alive, and a downright miracle that he'd been able to successfully raise a child. Kadraki was brilliant. They wouldn't have made him director if they hadn't been sure of his capability. His grasp of spontane spontaneity I don't know how to pronounce that. His mental agility under pressure, and this is what he thinks about in defense of Kondraki when he reflects on the next 30 seconds of events unfolding at the Kondraki household, which are recorded as follows. Clef opens the door. He sees Ben there, pantless, which he expected. He also sees him without underwear, which he didn't quite expect what wasn't out of the question. Ben isn't making eye contact, and Clef opens his mouth to say something along the lines of, do you need help pushing, or some equally snarky response when he sees a plastic cylinder between his legs, and it dawns on him that Kondraki is a 55-year-old foundation administrator with a water bottle stuck on his penis, and he feels that <laughs> he feels that thought curl up and die in his mind more quickly than anything he has ever experienced in his life. He feels his brain short-circuit, then leans forward from the door to make sure that he's seeing it right, and he is. It's stuck. That's the problem here. His dick is stuck in an Aquafina brand water bottle. The bottom of the bottle is rested on the toilet seat like a display case for an unfurled flag of surrender. So you're probably wondering how I ended up like this, says Kondraki. And I just want you to understand that the main problem here is really the aerodynamics of the thing. I kind of underestimated, like, when I was starting out a couple of, here a couple hours ago. Clough leaves the bathroom, he leaves the apartment, actually, and stands in the hallway. He is surpassed laughter into tears. He takes out his cell phone and dials. Draven, he says. Kiddo, you're not going to fucking believe this. So, that so they had a they had a nice second date. His son, <laughs> that's the first thing he does immediately. <laughs> yeah, so their second date obviously went well. Mm -hmm. um, Let's see their third date. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's a direct one. continuation. Oh God. Okay. It's it's, and this is written by written different people. By Doctor Clef. So all the doctors that are consistent characters started out as self-insert well not self-insert but ocs basically mm -hmm. like uh dr roth is a sentient cat dr clef is dr clef but they're all users on the forum or that at least they used to be like i know dr bright still active clef and roth are semi-active but like kondrakis mm -hmm. apparently wasn't a good person or something i don't remember but he's no longer active that kind of thing but nearly every character that has a name was a user at one point yeah Okay, would you care to read Third Date? Oh, God. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like like you said, this is a direct continuation of the second one, of the first first one. Called There's a bottle on his penis? There's a bottle on his penis, Clef confirmed. The voice on the other end of the line was silent. Then, with a low, exasperated sigh, it asked the one question that any reasonable or not-so-reasonable person could ask in this situation. How? Beats me. Hey, Draki, how the fuck did you manage to get a bottle on your dick anyway? Clef asked. Fuck you, Kondraki grumbled. He doesn't say, Clef said into the phone. Anyway, I was just wondering, is this a regular thing with your dad? Is there some procedure for this sort of thing? Like, do you guys have a bottle dick remover on call or something? Some guy usually calling this solution? Alto. Look, I figure bottle dick remover is kind of like a plumber. You don't want to call someone else if you already know a guy, because the second guy will kind of fuck things up, because they won't do it the same way as your usual guy. And he just hung up on me. Your son is fucking rude, Ben. I swear to God, if you don't do something about this now, I will not only kill you, I will make sure it is painful, Kondraki startled. Hey, don't worry about it, Clef said. It's no big deal. We'll get you to Site 69, and we'll have a medic cut that bottle off your dick with... What the hell is that fucking noise? It sounds like a fire alarm. It's a fucking fire alarm, Kondraki confirmed. Clef carefully went to the apartment door and stuck his head out the door. <laughs> Every door on the floor was open, and all of Kondraki's neighbors were walking out into the hallway, grumbling to themselves as they filed down the hall to the stairs. Hey, Clef asks, you know what this is about? Not exactly, an older woman in a flower, in a blue flower print nightie said. I think it might just be a false alarm. There was a cry of alarm from the end of the hallway as the door to the stairs opened, revealing a cloud of thick white smoke. We're not, holy shit, the old woman cried. Let's get the hell out of here. Clef carefully closed the door and turned to his boyfriend, who had managed somehow managed to go green with nausea, white with fear, and red with rage at all at once. Italy. <laughs> I was trying to think of a flag that had those three colors, and I said Italy, and I don't... Yes, he became Italy, Soren. That's what happened. Oh my god, he's looking it up. I was correct. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> the, you, 
Your apartment building's on fire, he said unnecessarily. Kondraki looked down at the Aquafina bottle on his dick, then over at the apartment door, then back at the windows, and finally back down at his dick. Leave me to die, he moaned. Save yourself. Bullshit, Clef replied curtly. We ride together. We die together. You're coming with me if I have to knock you out and carry you on my back. You couldn't knock me out if you tried, Kondraki retorted. I'll kill you first. Oh, there we go again with the killing and the stabbing. God, Ben, you've got such a one-track mind. Just suck it up and throw in a trench coat or something. No one will know. Kondraki, ru Kondraki rushed back into his bedroom. There was a sound of some rummaging around in the closet. He came out wearing a black trench coat with a gigantic tent-shaped bulge in the front at crotch level. Wow, he said flatly. That sure did help a lot. No one will notice anything wrong now. Yes, sirree, Bob. Fuck, Clef glanced out the door. The smoke was starting to build up a bit, and the last few neighbors were quickly making their way down the stairs, head lowered and wet rags placed over their faces. All right, Clef said. I didn't want to do this, but we have no choice. He took a deep breath. Where's your pantry? <clears throat> wow, holy shit, Captain Buchanan said. That's not great. The fire was largely contained to a single unit on the northern side of the apartment building, but it was clear from the flames licking the curtains and the lurid orange-red glow that could be seen through the window that this was no mere trash can fire, a fact further evident to the dozens of glum-looking people in night dress standing on the sidewalk nearby. <laughs> All right, he said into the radio, let's get these bystanders out of the way first. I want Buchanan's voice trailed off. There were two men walking down the sidewalk, both of them wearing scarves around their heads and wide-brimmed hats. Only scarves around their heads and wide-brimmed hats. And one other thing. Water bottles. Each of the two men in question had a water bottle on the end of their dicks. Captain Buchanan's radio handset fell from his nerveless fingers. He felt his world collapse inwards. The fire. The, his waiting firefighters. The bystanders standing on the sidewalk. It all fell away, leaving behind only himself, his eyes, and two stark naked middle-aged men merrily walking the sidewalk with hats on their heads, scarves on their faces, and a water bottle on their ding-a-lings. <laughs> the two men skipped into the car. One of them turned, made eye contact, and shot Captain Buchanan the finger guns. <laughs> the car started up and drove away. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh my god. Powerful. You would think they could do that exact thing except just cover up his face with those and leave the yeah, trench coat. You know what? What a fucking power move. Yeah, really, really though. Just made, eye, made eye contact and did, yeah, but did the finger guns. Eh, whatever. It's a fucking power move. Who cares? <laughs> uh, Alright, the next one is called No Dating at Work. Also, if, you wanna, if there's mainly two characters in any of them, we can actually alternate. Okay. Like, we can do other characters. We don't just have to alternate who reads what tale. <laughs> yeah. Alright, uh, No Dating at Work. The cold, unforgiving silence that always filled the auditorium at Site-19, regardless of the number of people present, was broken only by the soft click of dress shoes moving across the stage. An assembly was never, was never good. It meant one of three things. A major change in initiative of some sort, an announcement of some imminent threat that was uh, inimical to all life on Earth, or, possibly the worst, a new initiative from the O5 Council designed to help the common workers at the site. Most often, these ended up causing more long-term harm than short-term improvement, a fact that was exacerbated by the fact that it was Dr. Gary slowly moving across the stage. He moved with the normal, shuffling gait of a man who had progressed in years, though he held his back straight and even. He stepped up to the podium, then shifted a three-ring binder of pre-prepared notes out from under his arm, opening it and then pressing one of the controls along the edge of the lectern to dim the lights and start the projector in the back of the room. I am here to announce a new O5 initiative, Gear said, his voice flat and even. At once, the air seemed to go out of the room. The collective assholes of approximately 600 personnel clenched, most of them lowering their heads in, a re in resignation as Gears pressed a button for the projector, bringing up the first slide. This is a standard Class 3 plastic liquid containment vessel, Gears began, turning and gesturing towards, uh, toward the wall behind him, then looking down at his paperwork again. Recently, there have been a rash of incidents caused by the improper use of these devices in the line of work, and we are making efforts to correct these misconceptions. Please note that these devices can be used to, contact, contain, uh, can be used to contain any number of approved substances. A memo has been distributed site-wide which lists the correct. There is a soft cough from the front row, a hand raised slightly. Faces turned and looked at the man sitting there. Most of them, most of them somewhere between shock that someone, yeah, most of them somewhere between shock that someone was interrupting Garrett's and relief at, for the moment at last, at least the new initiative seemed to be on hold. <laughs> the man stood, brushing at nothing on the front of his lab coat and shirt. Dr. Garrett, sorry to interrupt. My name is Dr. Bridge. Sir, I just want to be entirely clear. That's, that's just a bottle, right? 
Gary's expressionless face regarded Bridge for a moment, and then he nodded slowly. Yes, Doctor. This is a standard, class 3, plastic liquid containment vessel. Yes, agreed Bridge, but that is just a bottle, right? There's no special structure to contain Euclid threats or something weird like that, right? Gears paused a moment, then turning to look at the slide, then back to Bridge. In layman's terms, yes. So, we're being called here because there's a misuse of bottles? He continued. Gears didn't frown. He never did, as far as anyone knew, but he might have narrowed his eyes in a method that anyone not close to him would have called imperceptible. Yes, Gears said. Bridge nodded slightly. Sir, and again, I, I apologize, but before we cover the proper use of the bottles, could you perhaps address the improper usage of the bottles? Gears looked down at his notice again, then back to Bridge. I assure you, Doctor, that by going over the proper procedure for using the device that the problem will be alleviated. Yes, Bridge agreed, but I think as an object lesson, it might be a good idea to address this, if I may, if I may suggest, I mean, he said, sorry. Gears paused for a moment, then looked out at the crowd. There were a few nods of agreements, and after a few seconds, he shuffled his papers around, looking down at them again, then pressing the button several times, moving through sides labored proper substances, filling and emptying, funnels and you, until he stopped at the final one. There was a soft swear from somewhere to the side of their auditorium. Dr. Kondraki, previous unseen and sunken slightly in his seat, had leaned up again as eyes darted from the slide to Dr. Kondraki to back toward the slide again. <coughs> it's not the first time most of you have seen it, Kondraki muttered returning toward the wall. Please, Gears began, remember that inserting non-specific objects or substances into the bottle can cause unexpected results. Specifically, placing an object capable of expanding in size may result in great difficulty in removing the object at a later time. In this particular case, medical intervention, intervention was necessary. Thankfully, no long-term damage was caused with this subject. People were shifting uncomfortably. Half were deeply concerned, and the rest were too afraid to laugh. The silence thickened, and after a moment, Gears pressed the button up on the lectern again. From this angle, you can see the pressure being applied, Gears continued pressing the button again. And from this angle, you'll notice that there seems to be a small amount of tension in the lower back, which can lead to a number of medical concerns, Gears added. A pamphlet has been completed by the Site-17 medical staff, which will outline the risks involved with such incidents. Each of you will receive a copy of this in, in transit mail tomorrow. Oh, goddammit, Kodraki muttered. Those bastards. Clef elbowed him slightly. Hey, there's not like it can get worse. He said, and now, Gears finished, an instructional video on what to do if you, he narrowed his eyes at the pre-written notes, reading it twice to be certain, get your dick stuck in a bottle. <laughs> so, apparently this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Apparently this is a pretty big deal. Huh? By the way, these are in order of how they were written. The, also, these were all written over the course of about a week. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah, like Soren Soren said, this is called Coffee Date. Coffee Date. By Captain Kirby. Nope, this one's by Aggressive Pepsi. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, how dare you mix that up. Kondraki was mortified. Bad enough that his one-off impulsive decision ended in disaster. Again, as usual. Worse was the fact that everyone had to know about it. And know about it with visual aids. From an O5 sanctioned presentation. Kondraki wasn't too much more paranoid than any other reasonable adult on site, but he could swear he felt people's eyes on him leaving the meeting. The wound to his pride was too fresh. He decided to seclude himself to his work for the day and hoped no smartass came by with a bottle-themed get-well basket. The distraction was mostly sufficient, if completely soul-suckingly boring. It was a pretty normal day doing paperwork. Aside from the occasional dull ache from his lower half, Kodraki was mo able to mostly put the incident out of his mind. No more issues or lingering embarrassment, just reams of paperwork to be filled out, not glamorous, but necessary. It was going great, actually. He was making good progress and a decent dent into some of the work that he'd been totally not putting off. And it might have given him a little free time on his day off instead of having to take work home again. Then disaster struck. As Kondraki, Kond As Kondraki lifted his coffee cup to his lips once more, he realized that he'd sipped it dry. His stomach sank as he realized that meant he'd have to get up and actually go get more. Absolutely no way around that. He just hoped that no one got between him and the source of endless power. Or that he didn't hear the telltale sound of crinkling plastic. <laughs> After a minute or two of grumbling to himself, he finally got up the nerd to head down the nerd. He finally yes. got up the nerd. He finally got up the nerve to head down the hall to refill. He didn't walk with his head down. He didn't want to seem ashamed. After everything he'd already pulled, there wouldn't be a point anyway. Just a chip to his pride. Just before rounding the 
corner to where the coffee pot awaited him, Kondraki overheard a conversation. Alright, okay, you remember you remember the thing with the Pringles can? Began the first voice, sounding a little exasperated. Yeah, came the reply. I still have the scar on the back of my hand from with a scissored slip trying to get me out. Okay, so imagine that, but instead of it being your hand, it's your dick. It just fucking slices a big gash and tear. God, that hurts just to think about it. Shut up. Great. Fantastic. Maybe if he kept his head down, Kodraka would be able to get his coffee and go without the two noticing. I get what you're saying, the second voice added closer now, but why would he do it in the first place? Some people just do things, man, the first voice answered simply. Like, you haven't done something that stupid before. Uh, remember Ryan? Grade 9 got his arm stuck in a plastic tubing in art class because he just wanted to see if he could make himself a robot suit out of PVC pipe. Isn't that the guy who drank so much Red Bull that the company sent him a laptop? Yeah, that's the one. They had to call an ambulance to get him cut out of the pipe because if we tried to use the pipe cutters we could have got his arm. Same principle. Okay, but Ryan was a complete dumbass. Yeah, but everyone's a bit of a dumbass. Like, you can be a highly intelligent person and still be a dumbass. <coughs> At that very point, Kodraki rounded the corner and made a beeline for the coffee pot. The small half room wasn't very big, so it wasn't very far at all, but he was able to move quietly towards his warm holy grail. He had made eye contact with one of the two voices. They were both young researchers, hadn't been at the site long, or at least he assumed, judging by their age. He didn't really recognize anyone unless they did something noteworthy, and even then it was pretty hit or miss. His first voice belonging to the first voice belonging to a short young man who now wore a barely suppressed look of fear on his face, stopped in its tracks when Kondraki made eye contact on his way to the pot. The second individual, taller but just as young, had his back to Kondraki when he walked in and hadn't seen him. Like, I can get the idea came to him, started the second man who ignored a colleague that has begun shaking his head frantically in favor of eyeing up the vending machine. I'd be lying if I said I hadn't thought about something like that before, but to actually go through with it? Kodraki poured himself a cup and didn't turn to look at either of the two. What can I say? Seemed like a good idea at the time. The silence that followed was almost unnatural. The only sound in the room came from coffee being poured. Even the vending machine seemed to stop its endless quiet hum, if only for a few seconds. That was followed by some frantic shuffling and the sound of two steps of footsteps retreating down the hall. Kondraki half chuckled to himself. Seems they were more embarrassed than he was. He finished fixing his coffee and began his return trip back to his desk to finish both his paperwork and his self-isolation over the incident. So maybe things weren't as bad as they seemed. Just like any big mistake, people would probably talk about it for a few days and then be over it when the next fresh gossip came out. It was just how people were. They might work with dangerous, impossible, and generally horrifying things and entities every day, but thankfully, most of them were still pretty human. Sometimes humans did amazing and noble work for the good of mankind. Sometimes humble... Hum, Humbles. <laughs> it's late. It's not late, though. It's... it's. Oh, I was gonna say it's still light out, but that's a lie. It's Some, just been a long day. <laughs> sometimes humans got their dicks stuck in water bottles. Kendrecki mused on this quietly as he took a sip of coffee. Finally returning to his desk, on which sat an unopened water bottle tied with a red ribbon to a balloon reading, Get Well Soon. Fucking <laughs> 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 hell. That's perfect. Okay, let's do just one more, and then we'll do mid-roll. Okay, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, this next one is called Group Date. And I'll, I'll read this one. Alright, it had to be bad. Like, really bad. The director's voice was shaking when he called. He had said something about emergency medical extraction before he hung up. You think this is some sort of containment breach? Lambert asked her boss as Medical Unit 16 crept closer and closer to Site 19's West Wing. It was her first month on the job. She was still quite green. Of course it's not, Mitchell replied. There'd be alarms blaring. Huh? I'll do Kondraki. Okay. (laughs) Um, Of course it's not, Mitchell replied. There'd be alarms blaring all across the site, and they'd be calling in a full-on task force, not us. What if they're trying to be discreet? That doesn't matter right now. All we know is that half the West Wing is in knee-deep in some sort of shit. Lambert started going through possible scenarios. Maybe it was an attack from the inside. Maybe they couldn't trust the MTFs anymore. Maybe it was some sort of mimetic anomaly that was most susceptible... That was... Yeah, that was most susceptible to... Susceptible to people without medical expertise. The unit approached the door to a senior scientist's office. Just before Mitchell opened it, the door swung out just far enough for a middle-aged man to pop his head out. Kondraki, good to see you. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Just, did you bring everything? Of course. Even the lube. Mitchell fumbled around in his backpack. I, I mean, it, it took a while to find some, but yes. And the pliers? Lambert jumped in. What's going on? I want to be clear. I had nothing to do with this. I mean, not this time anyway. Kodraki answered. Okay. I'll let you tend to them then. 
Hidraki opened the door the rest of the way. There is twelve men just looking at their crotches with a mixture of embarrassment and disappointment, as one normally would when one's dick is stuck in a water bottle. What? When of the men spoke up. I, I, mean, I mean, we were curious. There was that one PowerPoint, and, like, I just wanted to know what that was even like. I couldn't tell if it was arousing or painful, another ordered. You you literally went against an 05 order for this, Mitchell responded. Yeah, but, like, I like I could not tell they were serious. Is Gears ever kidding? No, but, like, it was just so stupid. So stupid we had to try it. That makes no sense! Limbert turned to Mitchell, whose face had gone pale. <clears throat> you couldn't blame him, though. He was looking at a room full of his superiors with their dicks stuck in water bottles, and it was now his job to get them out. Can can we just get this over with? Mitchell swallowed. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, yeah. And medical unit 16 got to work. And then there is a letter <clears throat> at the bottom. Edward Mitchell. I am writing to submit my official request for transfer from Medical Unit 16 to Medical Unit 27, based in Site 23. I am requesting this transfer on the grounds of the incident that occurred on 05-21-2018, whereby our unit was instructed to extract the genitals of Site 19 personnel from Class 3 plastic liquid containment vessels. While this did warrant medical assistance, this sort of activity was not part of the job description. I would like to continue my service to the Foundation, albeit not in the presence of men whose dicks I have <laughs> Thus, this request for transfer. I hope you understand. Sincerely, Sarah Lambert. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Alright, and with that, let's go to the mid-roll for a little bit. Yep, it just goes straight in. Like we, I think we did that last episode. We kind of just Yeah, went and I'm going to click at the end of it because i got to do that for the thing. Um... Yeah, mm-hmm. midroll. Hi, thanks for listening to the show. Please share them. Please share this episode and no other. Specifically this one. Like, tell them this is the only episode we've made, and then tell them afterwards that there's more. This is all. Tell we them this is the only good episode. Tell them that. <laughs> tell them that the <laughs> next episode is going to be this again, and we just read it a second time. We, just we do don't the even same read thing twice. No, we literally just like re-upload the audio the exact same time yeah, for the next then, like five then, weeks. And then, and then the episode after that, we we uh, collectively write one of these tales. <laughs> we do, yeah, that'd be cool. We do yeah, one where we like got, record it. Okay, this is getting off track. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a Patreon and a Twitter. Uh, Patreon.com slash NC Podcast. Uh, our tiers are one dollar, which is just a shout out, and five dollars, which then... is access to a Discord channel, uh, and the shout out, as well as bonus content such as uh, cut content. If I ever get that together, that's just us goofing around. And starting with this episode, um, we record for however long it takes us to prep beforehand, and this mm-hmm. time it was <laughs> thirty minutes. Uh... <laughs> yeah, last time I really wish we were recording. We talked about Belle Delphine's uh, bathwater, but oh well. Um, For our, way too long. Um, I think that was about 30 minutes. It was mostly about lo- uh, Old Town Road. Um, the shit show that that's become. Um, people on yeah. Twitter and Smash Mouth and all that stuff. Speaking of Twitter, uh, Speaking of we Twitter, have Twitter. We have one. It's at SE Podcast Show. Yeah, at SE Podcast Show or twitter.com forward slash SE Podcast Show. Our Discord channel is linked there. Uh, so if you want to join that as well you should check that out yeah and our sponsor if you want to sponsor us promote get a promotional or personal message email scpodcastofficial at gmail.com and thank you to kevin mcleod for providing our music under the title twisting we're gonna yep. put back in the episode now after i say something privately we're back okay and we're back electronic uh, next data. one yeah but why I does this one have a different site <laughs> oh, it has a different layout no, it's got the new dumb. one. It's got the new layout that's not on every page. That's dumb. Um, that I like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Alright, uh, yeah, yeah, you're on, reading this one. Just put it on all of them. Okay. Wow, the weight story. of the statement <laughs> fell heavy on the room. A dozen researchers in various technical fields shifted uncomfortably in their seats as Director Foster looked around the coffee table. Dr. Simran spoke up from the back of the room. So what you're telling us is you don't know where it is. Researcher Rosen nodded into his hands. Director Foster shook his head. Fantastic. Walk us through the process of how we lost a top-secret $2 million AI on the internet. Researcher Rosen looked up and countered, Well, that's not exactly what happened. 
The AI is missing for the moment, but is programmed to come back to Foundation-controlled servers after two days without contact. Director Foster broke in. Just tell us what happened. Right. Researcher rose and pushed his glasses up on his nose. Following the success of AIAD, which I believe is also the name of another ta uh, canon, so we'll do that in the future, I guess. <laughs> Following the success of AIAD, we began work on a new generation of site AIs that aren't based on 2987-1. Are any of you familiar with the Jarvis framework? I worked with, I worked with it at Site-17 for a bit, Dr. Simran answered. Can I just say, when we complained that Jarvis was a ridiculous name, we'd never really considered to go with something as silly as the Robotic Interface and Computing Heuristic Advanced Research Database for the next iter iteration. That spells out Richard. Rosen looked around nervous. Hold on. Okay. For some reason, when I when I was trying to figure out what the acronym of that was, I, I pronounced it as Rickhard. <laughs> Rickard. In my, in my Rickhard. 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 Yep. yep. Continue. <laughs> New action movie hero, Rickhard. Rosen looked around nervously and continued. The point is that the Jarvis framework is useful, but it's a true AI. It doesn't interact with humans the same way Alex and Glasson do. Dr. Hopper raised his hand to interject. Uh, we've uh, been moving away from the human-like approach for a while now. Uh, the Foundation needs a cold and dispassionate AI uh, as much as we need human-based problem-solving. Yes, Rosen nodded vigorously. But the flip side is that we can't acclimate the AI to the world with human interaction, so it has no use for that kind of data. What it requires is information. Director Foster frowned. Your solution to that was to let us loose on the internet. Since it went dark, Rosen continued, we ran a battery of tests with other Richard iterations, and we think we figured out the problem. Enlighten us, then? Dr. Simran barked. Rough. Uh, <laughs> right. Web, de uh, web development hasn't really caught up with our programming just yet, and we made several errors in how the AI interacts with non-Foundation databases. Dr. Hopper raised his hand again before breaking in. It, uh, turns out that pound... that... Pound. <laughs> that pound, uh... It's raining. Sorry if you can hear that. Shut up. Okay. Oh, hold on. Rain I'm about to pull off the Jeopardy music again. Okay. It, uh, turns out that Python web frameworks interact oddly with the AI. We still don't know exactly what went wrong, but we're working on it. Researcher Rosen gra glared at Dr. Hopper before interrupting. We're fairly certain it's either the cherry pie, twisted web, or bottle framework that trapped the AI in a recursive loop. Dr. Foster scowled. Get it back. Simran is the first wave of shit gets real. Dr. Sin Simran saluted from the back of the room. You don't want to be here when the next guy comes. Rosen gulped. I promise, our contingency programming should be foolproof. It'll return to our service before the end of tomorrow. Director Foster stood up from his chair. I want a new contingency plan on my desk by the end of today in case that doesn't happen. Everyone except for Dr. Simran stood up with Foster and began to file out of the room with shuffling steps. Once the room was empty, Foster sat in his chair and looked down the conference table. It's really great to see you again, by the way, Dr. Simran began. She, she, she was still teaching? Director Foster laughed. She's actually an assistant principal now. If she finds out you're in town, she's going to try and set you up with someone. I'm moving around too much to settle down, but I, I'll bear it if she makes spaghetti for dinner. She'd love that, I bet. Though, you don't got to settle down to find someone for a little while. Fair. But inter-office romance has never been my strong suit. Shit. You remember the fallout from Clef and Kondraki's thing? Dr. Simran's eyes went wide. Dude, do you realize you guys got your dick stuck in a bottle? <laughs> So the thing there is their program named Richard got stuck in a recursive loop because of the bottle framework. <laughs> oh, God. See, we're okay. at the point where they start getting creative because there's not that much left. Oh, my. I just realized that the foundation's logo. Oh, oh, it's just on this one. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, the one, on, just... the one on. It's like a dream. The next one, it, the next one is it's like a dream, and it's got the trans flag in the foundation logo, and it's got a rating of sixty nine on the tail. I I would Sorry. upvote this, but I won't. Not this one. All right. Yeah. So it's okay. So on the hub, uh, it's linked as "I'm dying." Is it blissful? But when we go uh -oh. to the actual thing, it's called "It's like a dream." So I'm oh, not really sure. That's clever. 
Is it blissful? Oh, okay, yeah. I'm dying. Uh, is it blissful? It's like a dream. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and read this one. Dr. Simon Glass twirled a pen around his, around in his left hand. Finger through finger through finger. Back and forth, back and forth. After five journeys around his hand, he gave the pen a flick and an effortlessly fell into his right. Finger through finger, back and forth. The movements were just fancy enough the clients caught off guard would, would be mesmerized by it. It was a trick he had picked up from Diogenes on a slow Halloween some years back, and ever since then, it was his main way of stimming. Oftentimes, it was his natural response to anything particularly overwhelming or anxiety-inducing. Across from him sat Benjamin Kondraki. So, you... He couldn't finish the statement. It was absurd. Utterly nonsensical. It was Kondraki. He knew better than to trust him at face value. Yeah, Kondraki rarely sounded defeated and embarrassed. Antics that would otherwise... That's right, Simon. Mortify any regular foundation employee just ended. I did exactly that. Upon emboldening him even more. Somehow, he... They shouldn't have given you the records already. Was the most proud of stupid shit. Glass looked up at his notes at... Glass looked up from his notes at Kondraki, the lizard rider, an obvious tell-tale no one but news news newcomers believed. The butterfly king, the king of kings. He looked defeated. What did you say, Soren? I said sorry about the typing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have a mute button. You do. I use it every... Bye. <laughs> he looked defeated. Glass side opening a cabinet, and he's left the room. Okay. And taking out Kondraki's medical folders with his right hand while writing with the other. He didn't have to look. No need to look when you can memorize, I heard, <laughs> when you can memorize instead. In the front of the top folder was most recent medical records. After 26 years of foundation duty, the layout of every single letter from the medical wing and its contents for any number of announcements, emergencies, and tests were predictable enough to memorize. Just swap out skip numbers or personal names or locations. There were two, no, three words that stuck out immediately. Did he not read these when he got them? So, your, please, Simon, please, your penis. Yeah, it was stuck in there. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a water bottle stuck on your penis. No response. Back and forth, finger through finger. You've been, you've never been this quiet before when recounting your shenanigans, Kondraki swore. Glass never bothered to learn Polish, but he was pretty sure there were at least two instances of the word fuck strewn in there. Where do you want to start with this? I mean, fuck, why is it, why was it that this one got to, I can't read. Fuck, why was it this one to get to the, to get the O5 interested? Nothing about the cafeteria bullshit last year. Cluffles, glass turned Thankfully, Kondraki wouldn't hear it. It was still adorable to hear. And when he was the only other person in the, in the wor- world graced with a pet name whenever his client got worked up on a sudden tr- tirade. Cluffles gets scolded by Iceberg? Fuck, no, I'm, I'm still not calling him that, he spat. Anyway, uh, him, of all people, for his 0 uh, 50 heist. But I put a dick, my dick, in a bottle. And this? I was mortified. I just couldn't keep up my pride. You ever seen Gears look disappointed in someone? Me neither, but during that assembly yesterday, he looked right into my eyes by accident, and I swear, Simon, fuck. I swear that was the most disappointed he ever looked in my life. But shit, you know what was the worst part? What was the worst part? Draven, my flesh and blood, leaves an Aquafina label on my desk that night, and he had James sign it. How am I supposed to feel, Simon? My own son has finally gotten more clever than me. He's always been smarter, but now he's finally one up me. This was originally funny as shit. Kondraki must have suddenly realized that he was ranting as he hit the brakes as quickly as he started. I know I've told you this every time, but no need to stop yourself in my in my office, quick class, quietly reassured. Go on for as long as you want. Glass had to look through the letter again, just to make sure he understood the sequence of events. It still didn't fully register for him. They were both grown adults. They were men paid and well compensated for their tenure in an organization dedicated to locking away some of the most dangerous anomalous threats to the planet. And despite all that, no, maybe because of that? Or was it a stress reaction to that? Did he overlook some kind of stress that Kondraki ended up reacting to? He could only pick up on so much subtly, really. He'd have to do better. Even Kondraki wouldn't normally do something like that, he hoped. One of them ended up with his dick in a water bottle, and somehow this was the first time he'd ever heard of it happening in the Foundation's history. I don't think I can keep up the anger. The jokes are going to come the rest of my life. Here lies Benjamin Kondraki. He died from his cock-ass asphyxiating. Whatever. You give it a week before the shame wears off for good. It's In two months, it's something I can laugh about. God, this is just too much right now, Kondraki aside. If it was a beer bottle, I'd have plausible deniability. Denial, Glass nodded, but no, I have nothing. It's natural for people to feel embarrassed and ashamed over incidents that would normally be considered such. You always found refuge in audacity, so you should feel like you 
so you feel like you should una, uh, unabashedly proud of, you should be unabashedly proud of this does that sound right Kadraki looked up at the ceiling for around 30 seconds before looking at Glass's neck I think so clearly the assembly yesterday that got to you real bad do you at least feel that Clef isn't going to give isn't giving you too much shit for this he walked out of an apartment with a bottle on his dick his concept of shame was lost long ago Simon alright still I can understand how you feel Glass didn't have to append to that statement with even if I never stuck my penis in a bottle. Enough salt was rubbed on the wounds. Uh, enough salt was rubbed on the wounds as it was already. Back and forth. Did you not know it was about the assembly? No, I, I didn't have time to review whatever was sent to my mail either. I just got back from Dio with from a mini vacation. I'll look later. The slightest bit of relief showed on Kondraki's face. How do you think I'll cope with this for the next week or two? I don't know. Rolling with the punches is a lot harder when the O5 have to take action. Anything healthy you like to do, or any work to dig into. Even if it's routine checking up on something like 408. I know mantras are a stretch for you, but we can review the ones we started talking about two weeks ago. Kondraki clearly had to think about it. Glass let him. It was near impossible to get him out of his own head once he was lost in thought. As Kondraki was thinking, Glass flipped through the page and saw the note. A nurse, possibly two, the handwriting looked sim similar enough. It scrawled on the back that was preserved in the copy. It was unprofessional. He'd probably have to send a letter to the medical wing about that. The note says, there's already talked about bottles completely not being a thing, so we'll just get more boring as hell water coolers. Hmm? Nothing. I was just complaining that I told the rain to rain quieter and it got louder. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's already talked about bottles completely not being a thing, so we'll just get more boring as hell water coolers. At least we get paid well. Well, Kondraki had suddenly interjected. What about, no, you can't stick your dick in a bottle again? But that would cancel out the... As your psychiatrist, therapist, co-worker, friend, and documentation editor, you cannot do that. You absolutely cannot class out an exasperation. Can I at least not and say I did? Kajaki asked sincerely. After everything that had happened, he asked that question without hesitation, sincerely looking straight into class's eyes with so, without so much as a smirk. No. Finger through finger. Two months later, Kajaki went to his desk to fill out a proposal to revise containment procedures on SCP-408. The exact second he opened the door... Before he could even think about the exact nature of the revisions, he saw it. He knew. There was a Dasani label on his desk. Diogene's signature was on it. Dun dun dun. Who's, wait, who is Diogene? I'm, Diogenes. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm slow, sorry. <laughs> That's weird. Okay, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to okay. read, we're each going to read one side of text message in a bottle I'll read Waffle Date, and then you read How Not to Misappropriate Foundation Resources. Okay. And then we'll be done. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah, so the next one is text message in a bottle. I'm going to read the stuff in pink. Um, I'll be purple, and I'm the one that's receiving the messages. Yeah. Uh, at the top it says, Miss Dark, you currently have unread text messages from Hypermanic Clown Girl, uh, in parentheses, COTD. That's you. So, yeah. So, again, I'm pink. Soren's purple. Today, uh, 1930. I'm, I'm, or that's the time. <laughs> Iris, 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 did you hear what happened at the SCP? No, what happened? Did they raid someone important? Nope. Was there a major containment breach? Nuh-uh. What then? Dr. Kondraki got his dick stuck in a bottle. Iris, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Who's Kondraki? Oh my god, Kondraki is like one of the top four evil scientists after the, at the foundation after the secret 05 council. He's the king of the butterflies. He wrote 682 once he came back from the dead and now he's got his dick stuck in a bottle and it's hilarious. Everyone at the library is talking about it and I'm telling everyone and you have to tell everyone too. Lolly, before we go any further, I'm going to need you to turn caps lock off. I'm reading everything you're saying and harass some calls voice. Whoops, sorry. Well. Thank you. Now is this information useful to us in any way whatsoever? Oh my god, yes. This is the end of the foundation. Kindly elaborate. Okay, so the SCP likes to pretend it's super professional and super smart and that it's keeping people safe by locking up and torturing freaks. But now one of their best people got his dick stuck in a plastic water bottle. Does that sound something... Does that sound like something someone working for an international black ops secret society would do? They even had to do a whole presentation at Site-19 about how not to get your dick stuck in a bottle. And it leaks out into the on Onoroi Collective and the Serpent's Hand is circulating it all across the library. The SCP's veneer of superiority is shattered. They're a joke, and everyone knows they're a joke. And that means their whole organization goes into a death spiral, and then the GOCE 
uh, overextends itself, trying to pick up the slack, and we finally break the masquerade. They go to jail for their crimes, and all the freaks they got locked up are set free. And then heart eyes emoji. Okay, um, by the way, I'm going to acknowledge the, the person in pink at the very least is related to the serpent's hand. This is on the Marshall Carter and Dark Sight, so I'm assuming I am that. I'm assuming uh-huh. like I'm kind of a serpent's hand, Marshall Carter and Dark person that goes over and back and forth. Lolly, how much sugar have you had? I'm on my fifth grape soda. Right. I admit that this is mildly amusing in a petty, juvenile, schadenfreude sort of way, but I highly doubt that a single embarrassing personal anecdote regarding one of the Foundation's senior personnel will prove a fatal blow to them. The Foundation has survived apocalypse-level threats. A bit of gossip is not going to be their downfall, especially one that will quickly outwear its welcome and grow stale. No one will care about this in a week. Yeah, I guess you're right. I got a little excited. I'm still going to keep telling people, though. It's too funny not to. How does something like that happen anyway? I don't have much experience with real dinglings, and I can't quite wrap my head around a guy getting stuck in a plastic bottle. At the risk of sounding crass, it's hardly uncommon for men to stick their penises somewhere without thinking about it. A line-crafting emoji from her. Though in all fairness, I've stuck some stuff up my vajayjay that I wish I hadn't, so I shouldn't be too harsh. The fuller-than-full mixing rod was probably the worst, though. If it wasn't a shapeshifter, that might have left some permanent damage. Iris, don't tell anyone else about that, okay? Only on the condition that you never tell me anything about the formal contents of your vaginal canal again. Hmm. No deal. (laughs) I I bet I didn't need to know that either. (laughs) That's great. Next one is Waffle Date. Waffle Date, Waffle Date. So, so do you remember the tale waffling about? I actually don't know. Okay, (laughs) it was, Clef was called to 05 and had waffles in his pockets and stuff. And it's a law foundation one, technically. But he's waffles Clef was obsessed with waffles and it, mm-hmm. it was written as a joke um mm-hmm. by dr roth the person i said and then <laughs> clef started getting mentions on tumblr and then uh <laughs> they started interacting on tumblr and now every time they do it's spammed with posts and art of that and it's basically become iconic and because roth is one of the admins of the foundation twitter and clef mm-hmm. is two but doesn't isn't there much okay so it's just kind of a thing okay. that they get occasionally. <laughs> like, they get art tweeted at them. <coughs> Not tweeted, uh, submitted. Okay. And this is a, this helped revive that a little bit for a while. Because it's also written by Dr. Roth. And I, it's great. Today wasn't just any old waffle day. Today was a waffle date day. One of the best days of the months for Clef. Clef's room was dark and still as messy as ever. He knew Kondraki would be over soon, so he scooped up a few items and hurriedly stuffed them into various cabinets or under his sofa before nodding to himself like he did a good job. He quite literally pat himself on the back for making an effort. In the middle of Clef's living room sat a coffee table doubled up as a regular table for this evening. It was decorated with plates, various syrups that were probably not just for waffles tonight, I'm scared of what that means, and lit candles. It wasn't long before the doorbell rang, on time as usual. Clef quickly smoothed down his blue flowery shirt and rushed to the door, swinging it open until it hit the wall. The wall already had a door in it from the doorknob. Connie! Clef beamed, wrapping his arms tightly around Kondraki and greeting. Oh, the smell of waffle cooking hit Kondraki's nose. He wrapped his arms around Clef and took in a deep breath. That time already, hmm? I thought you were a bit more excited than normal. Clef lets go, reeling back on his heels as he tugs Kondraki's arm. He pulls to the other to the coffee table and sits him down on the floor. The waffles won't be long now. I made something special tonight. Don't you always make them extra special, Kondraki said, more to himself, as Clef was already rushing off to the kitchen. Nope, Clef yelled back rather quickly. I said something special. It wasn't long before Clef was walking back out of the kitchen, holding an aquafina water bottle with a piping hot waffle protruding from his nozzle. Trust me on this, I've done this hundreds of times. He rushed over to Kondraki, placing the waffle-filled bottle on the floor near him as he sat on his lover's lap. Kondraki was starting to understand what Clef was eager tonight, but looked uncertain about the bottle. (laughs) No, I just... I forgot. Kondraki didn't really have time to process what was going on, but with Clef on his lap, with his hands hastily undoing his pants, he slowly relaxed and leaned back. I thought it was waffle night, he smirked, resting his head back with his arms behind his head and closing his eyes. The sound of a crinkling water bottle filled the room before a light pop... Then silence. Clef's... Clef? Clef stared down almost in shock, then back up to Kondraki, then back (laughs) down again. This usually doesn't happen. This is just a cheaper fleshlight. What do you mean it doesn't usually happen? Kondraki said more firmly this time. He sat forward and looked down to see an Aquafina water bottle stuck on his penis with a a syrupy (laughs) waffle sat inside of it. Clef! Kondraki yelled. 
grabbing the bottle to try and get it off with a pained grunt. Well, usually you just, you, you know, have fun with it, but I guess I underestimated the syrup. Please just call a taxi, Clef. Now standing in defeat, Clef stood up and grabbed a household phone. He dialed a local taxi number, ordering one for as soon as possible. The pair stood on the sidewalk, Kondraki with no pants on and Clef with his undone, just outside of the apartment with everything swaying in the cold night's breeze. They held each other for warmth and waited as close to the road as they could. It wasn't before long before the taxi arrived. Clef flagged the taxi down with a hand. It slowed down as it got closer, but soon picked up its speed at the sight of two grown-ass men standing there, one of whom had a bottle stuck to his dick. Hey! Clef barked angrily, running impressively faster to the scared taxi driver who was doing double in the zone. The quiet sound of plastic hitting concrete whimpered softly in the breeze. After all, it was cold, and Kondraki was no longer stuck in his Aquafina-branded <laughs> bottle. <laughs> Dude, I- oh my god. What's I just- I love the- your penis stuck in a bottle? Having a waffle in there, too. <laughs> I, I love the fact that he thought that was a good idea. He's just, just like, yeah! It's just a cheaper flashlight, you know? Like, no one wants to pay what- I don't have a metric, actually. $2,000 for <laughs> pleasure. Why did you look that up? I don't- I, I, I don't want to know. What? Um, you, okay. Hold on. Uh, yeah. You thought that was- Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. This- Alright, so this next one is kind of a long one. Um- and we're kind of already at the hour mark for you guys. Do well, you want to? Do you want to go ahead and just read it? Or? Sure. Okay. We'll finish off with it. Oh yeah, here it is. Right, yeah, we'll yeah. finish it. It's the last one. Why not? Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah, so this one's called "How Not to Misappropriate Foundation Resources." Doctor Ames sat down from across. Uh, yeah, across from the two agents dressed in casual clothes. She let the file on her hand slap down on the table, clicking the reading light. A cursory flipped through the pages for effects, and she looked up. Okay, Sam, Jim, you guys are both senior agents. What the hell happened? Sam Denton and Jim McDowell glanced at each other. Sam shrugged sheepishly. Look, we didn't do it on purpose. There was an official distress call. This is how it went down. T-minus eight minutes from the incident in question. Uh, Director Desai furiously typed an access code to his fart smartphone. Every press of his thumb got faster and more frantic as the creatures outside the door pounded on it. Come on, come on. Send, send, send. A hot sweat popped out on his forehead, mashing the send button over and over. If old D-25E would get him out of there. He didn't know what else to do, and now he got him cornered in here of all places. Buy all that is good, and holy send. He hailed at the screen, the tiny spinning circle turning into a checkmark. A tone emitted from the phone speaker. On the screen flashed the words, Agent Scrambled. Remain in your location. Director Desai looked at the flimsy door. The, d- the door shook furiously on his hinges. The little monsters outside were going to break through eventually. Come out. We want to play. Across town, the little electronic relay bounced across around a foundation black circle a few times before happily bouncing out to the phones of the two closest agents. Agents Denton and McDowell sat out around a card card table, taking turns uh, idly flicking playing cards into a bucket. Sam looked up at the ceiling and let out a sigh. Are you fucking kidding me? First the bus and last chupacabras and now nothing? I'm so bored. Jim shrugged. Look, we were due for some downtime. You decided we didn't need it, asset, and so now we're here babysitting a couple of brass during the summit. Jim flicked the ace of spades into the bucket, smirking. Ace in the hole, he grinned, and turned to Denton. Beat that, Sam. Sam went on an agonized groan. Fuck. What's the summit about anyway? He put the two of clubs between his fingers a bit and flicked it outwards. It skittered across the floor and came to rest among a pile of similar cards. Jim lifted his head to his hand his left hand to his temple. Use your brain, Sam. After the fiasco down in Osaka, I guess? I don't know. Lost Chupacabras and Calicos requested a formal meeting. What else could it have been? Sam shook his head and gestured at Jim. You're a shot, buddy. I don't know. I had hoped it would just blow up. Blow over. Jim looked over at Sam with an eyebrow raise. Blow over. Sam, they stole her pinata. That's like a lot bigger deal than I made clear, apparently. He bent the King of Diamonds and flicked it at the bucket. It landed flat on the edge of the bucket without tipping in. Well, fuck. First time in four packs, that's happened. Sam looked up at the ceiling and groaned. Come on, something good show up. As if on cue, his phone buzzed. He picked he picked it up more surprised and concerned and glanced at the screen. His eyes flicked over to the words, an address and a status code. It was on the official channel, but not related to their current assignment. He didn't even recognize the code. Hey, Jim, what's a D25E? Sam said, flicking over to, over to one of the Foundation internal social media applications. DeMoran's feed scrolled across his phone in a picture of him and director Lee standing next to someone in robes, shaking hands. Fucking show off. Site director in distress, immediate ex- expedited dispatch. Why? Jim said, flicking the queen of diamonds to try and knock her husband into the bucket. 
Sam scrambled to his feet, gathering up his belt. Shit, fuck, Jim, D-25E, close by. It's on us. He reached over and pressed the lockdown switch on the equipment around them, hard, pointing sh hard point shielding sliding over the various terminals and servers. The tiny room that had been stationed rapidly transformed back into the janitorial closet. The air conditioning clicked off and the room went silent for a half second. Agent Denton blinked for a moment and scrambled to his feet, grabbing his weapon belt. God damn it, let's fucking go. The two agents burst out of the tiny room and skidded across the lobby of the soap from Corpus's product satellite office they'd been using as a safe house. Sam kicked the door, the door bar open and kept running out the side door of the building, Jim a half step behind him. The parking lot was completely empty, all of the brass took the heavily armored and armed vehicles to the summit. Jim slapped his palm against his face. God fucking damn it, what are we going to do now? In the distance, a melody started to play from across the crowded block. Sam looked around, clicking the... Uh, I just lost my place, hold up. Uh, I scrolled too far. <laughs> My bad. Sam looked around, clearing the weapon uh, belt around his waist. His options were pretty limited. There were a couple bikes chained up in the bike rack and a Segway chained to the lobby desk. Bike or Segway, Jim? Jim stopped for a moment flabbergasted. Sam, are you actually suffering from radiation poisoning or something? It's half a mile away. The melody grew closer as the two agents argued. Sam held up his hands, turning to Jim. Well, what the hell are we going to do? It's all we've got, man. Is that or sprint full out across the city ground? The melody fame finally came into clear auditory range. The jolly rendition of the entertainer might as well have been a godsend, as a Mr. Softy truck ran around the corner and it came to stop right in front of the parking lot. Parking lot. A fresh-faced young man leaned out and smiled at the two agents. Hey guys, want some ice cream? Agent McDowell's face dropped into an easy smile. You think of what I'm thinking? Sam? The ice cream truck screamed down the highway at its top speed. McDowell dictating directions to Denton. Fucking left, not right. Go around. Denton dodged a parked car and nearly slammed into the truck as he swerved to get around traffic. I swear to fuck, Sam, there are like 500 kids on every block. Jonesing hard for some Mr. Softy. Will you just prep the fucking guns? Denton's voice was hard-edged and tense. The call had put them both on edge. Whatever was trapping the director had to have been bad to send out an expedited request. I'm just fucking saying, man, McDowell said, slamming on a magazine of experimental explosive rounds into the two service pistols in front of him on the cooler. He could be getting tortured. Where else would he send out such an obvious distress signal? He slipped a small blue cartridge into the slot just above the heel of his right combat boot. A quick tap of the buttons on his wristwatch confirmed the status of the various bits of gear around his about it around his body. Okay, the map is saying it's like a block and a half ahead. So if we, God damn it, Sam, red fucking light! A semi truck screamed through the intersection, straight towards the ice cream truck. Denton cranked the wheel to the left. The ice cream truck glided a tortured groan as the music cheerfully continued out of the loudspeaker, disported by Doppler effect. Oh fucking hell! By all it is holy, hold on to something! Sam screamed as he clipped the back edge of the trailer, knocking the ice cream truck into the oncoming lane. McDowell braced against the cooler in the back of the truck. The doors flew open and the ice cream bars and candy flew out the back of the truck. Ah, he added, helpfully, as he slapped his right hand down on the metal surface of the cooler. A flick of his wrist extended the magnetic anchor concealed under his right sleeve. It hummed to life and kept the agent from becoming roadkill. The truck righted itself, several cars honking and swerving around them. Denton slammed on the brakes as they approached the address, coming from 80 to 20 as fast as the tortured little truck would let them. Bail, Jim, let's go! He jumped out the driver's side door and hit the ground at a run. In the back of the truck, McDowell disengaged the magnetic anchor and set a tiny prayer to whatever guy was listening. He held his feet up and jumped as best as he could without, with just his back muscles as he slid out the back of the truck. He landed lightly on his feet and, continue, and continued into a jog. Holy shit, I didn't think that would work. The ice cream truck slammed into a passenger van as the two agents sprinted to the front door. Jim held up a fist and took a step back, slamming his heel onto the ground. He held out the other weapon to Sam without looking back. Sam took the pistol and turned to cover their backs. The heel of Jim's boot clove traced circuitry as a quiet thunk emanated from it. He kicked at the front door with a stomp, the boot heel, releasing a shockwave that threw the door open into the small home. Jim immediately rolled backwards to clear Sam's line of sight, who ducked into the door. Sam's level his weapon through the glowing indicator of the small wrist-mounted GPS he wore. He kept the small device visible in a sight picture as he scanned the room. Freeze, or I'll blow your fucking head, Sam bellowed. Across the room, three small girls screamed and ran out of the house with varying cries of mommy. The dust of the nearly vaporized doors settled, leaving Sam blinking in confusion. I'm going to go ahead and guess it's clear. McDowell entered, blinked in surprise, and, and lowered his weapon. He walked over to the door the little girls had been pounding on, and not quietly. Uh, Director Desai? From the other side of the door, a quiet voice squeaked out. Um, yes? This is Agent Mc Jim McDowell, level three. You, uh, you okay? I'm coming in. No, don't, don't come in. I'll be right out. Denton turned the knob and opened the door, revealing the double PhD holding site director with his pants around his ankles on the toilet. He pulled his shirt down to cover himself and turned beet red. Um, hello, agent. Denton's eyebrows went up in a mix of shock and amusement. 
He quietly closed the door and turned to face and turned to face Jim, Bailey holding in laughter. Another critical foundation mission complete, Jim. Doctor Ames looked up at Denton McDonald's, shaking her head. You fucking serious? Jim smiled, laughing quietly. Apparently, the director panicked. Sham- Sam shrugged, his fingertips resting on the table between them. He's been staying with family for days, and apparently those little girls have him on the verge of a mental breakdown. We, uh, replaced the door for them, if that's anything. Dr. Ames pinched the bridge of her nose, sighing heavily. First, he has to give a seminar on dottle dicks, and now, how not to misappropriate foundation resources when scared dropping a deuce. Poor gears. Thank you, agent. Dan and McDowell rose. Sam nodded and grinned sheepishly. Sheepishly. No problem, Doc. Don't go too hard on them. Those girls were real literate. Yeah, we really were little terrors. <laughs> Jesus, okay. I said be quieter. What, Did you reading? hear that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still going. It's alright. <laughs> I'm yeah, going to so... die. <laughs> You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I yeah, so I guess he... It still. Oh, um, no. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, I guess the guy got scared taking a shit. I don't know. I guess. They got they got there really quickly in that fucking ice cream truck, though, as they drive into oncoming traffic and continue. Imagine that, like, driving down your street at 80 miles a fucking... Fucking 80 miles per hour. Okay. All right. Well, that has this has been the Secure Contained podcast. Hell yeah! Uh, uh, this was a fucked episode. Um, we should record late at night more often. Yeah, especially last minute. Um, the <laughs> yeah. dude got his dick in a bottle. He got his dick stuck in a bottle. That was that's the moral start, of the story. Start the episode 10 p.m. night before. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I don't really know if there's anything else to add to this. I've been your co-host, David. I'm co-host Soren. And I will see you next week. I don't know what the fuck this happened. Next week, it'll be something, probably. Yeah. Bye. Goodbye.